Welcome to the Aquademia podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Aquademia podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Cassidy. And I'm Elise Avalon. I'm Sean O'Laughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And today we're talking about Women's History Month in seafood. <laughs> How about that intro? A nice little switch up. I'm not used to this being on this end of it. So, you know, I wasn't sure when, <laughs> when the best time to come in was. Good to switch things up, you know. So, we're in the month of March, and if you don't know, March is Women's History Month. And to celebrate women in seafood and just women in general, we thought it would be a great opportunity to talk about some women in seafood, some statistics about all women who work in seafood, and just generally about why women are great and why they should want to work in the seafood industry. So, to start things off, we have a really fun, cool feature. One of our coworkers, Denise Gershon, who has been a multi-time guest on the podcast and oh, yeah. a huge fan hit favorite. with the listeners. Fan favorite. That's what we call her. Fan favorite, Denise Gershon. Fan favorite. People love the episodes with Denise, so you, she will be back on again. She knows her stuff. She's no joke. So she was recently featured by Seafood Nutrition Partnership, who did a beautiful article all about women across the seafood industry highlighting women who work in like various sectors and their stories and what they think about women in aquaculture and what their experience has been working in the seafood industry so we will be sure to link to that article because there's some really great stuff on it and everybody should read it so one of the papers that denise references in this interview with seafood nutrition partnership which is super interesting and i encourage everyone to check it out um, it has some really interesting statistics about women and their role that they play in the seafood industry as a whole so about 50 percent of people in global seafood production are women and one of the things that denise talked about which I thought was really significant is the fact that um, despite, you know, half of the workforce being women in the seafood industry, they're kind of absent from decision making. Um, and that was actually one of the things noted in the paper. And I think a lot of people, when they think of the seafood industry, they think it's male dominated, but it's like, okay, what does that really mean? Um, because yeah, it's really, so it's half and half, right? Mm -hmm. So this yeah. is this is so interesting to me because I think a lot of people would look at that first statistic and say, okay, roughly 50% of the, the workforce in seafood industry is women. And then they would just pat themselves on the back and move on, which yeah. there's a really big issue in this. I mean, that's a good start, getting 50% of the, the workforce to be to be women but like you said where what it, i want to know what that percentage is when we're looking at and you may have this elise you may have this ready for us what is that percentage when we're looking at um at those decision makers at the, the leadership roles within the industry because i know in the blog post that maddie wrote which will also be linked in the show notes she talks about how the majority of women in the seafood industry are working in production in processing literally mm -hmm. on the floor yeah. of the processor uh, you know, filleting fish, packaging mm -hmm. fish, packaging, cleaning fish, yep. 
doing doing the manual work. So then how many women are up in the offices there? You know, like that's what we're that's kind of the the number that we need to drill down into a little bit more. Yeah, I I wish I had that number and it actually might be in this paper somewhere, but I didn't go through all of it. But the the part that you just said about the, you know, women being in, you know, involved in the labor there's a really interesting stat on that. They said that um, women essentially dominate labor intensive processing in, in the seafood industry and 85 to 90% of the total workforce in labor intensive processing is women, which is crazy to me. That's like huge. That's huge. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Yeah. And, Why do you, do you um, think, do you think there's a uh, reason for that? I mean, I don't know. I, honestly, I don't know. And it, the other thing too, is looking specifically at aquaculture, it said that women make up about 70% of total labor for the aquaculture industry. So again, another significant number. So I, I did a little bit of research about why behind this number when I was researching for this blog post that I wrote. And so this blog post was a part of our Aquaculture 101 series when we were talking about the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And the tenth, the fifth goal is gender equality. So that's what this post is kind of centered around. And when researching for this, I discovered that the reason why women are way more predominant in this sector of the industry is because these positions are available in so many parts of the world, including like rural communities. Like I remember when I visited Ecuador, I went to a few different processing facilities and it was so much, so many more women compared to men working the floors. And it, they're in these super rural areas where there's like nowhere else to go other than this one factory that you can work at. So one reason why this happens is because these women are looking for jobs in these rural communities and seafood processing happens to be a huge industry in rural areas. So it's a coincidence that that ends up happening. And these jobs are also really stable jobs. And often in rural communities, it's hard to find a stable job. So not only are these jobs just available in these areas, but they're also stable jobs in these areas. So for women who might have been working at home or not working at home, for women who might have been not working while raising children and then want to work later on in life, it's a perfect opportunity to get a job that's like probably closer to your home and a very reliable job that you'll be able to have for a long period of time. So it makes sense that this happens, but it's interesting because you would think that there would be just as many men in these rural communities that want these jobs. But I think this is not based in any research, but it's my hypothesis. Men are more likely to go a further distance for their jobs. Another thing that's interesting to think about with this is, is something that people may not think of first, firstly, is looking at how these numbers are collected, right? I mean, when, you, when you're talking about like corporate companies, say we were talking about companies on Wall Street and we're talking about numbers, percentages of employees that are men versus women or percentages of employees that are certain ages or something like that. That's such a massive pool that to be pulling these numbers from. If you say 50% of the employees at this company are men, then that may be 1,500 people. Some of these farms are, they have, I mean, how many employees do they have? Single digits, some of them. Some of them have very few. So when you say 40% of the, the manual labor 
uh, at this company are women, that that may be three people or four people. So uh, yeah, the numbers the, the numbers can be a little misleading sometimes because it depends on the size of the sample that you're doing and what the percentage is representative of that entire thing. And that's something to look at because processing plants have a lot of people working at them, especially the big commercial processing plants. And saying that a large majority, I think, what did you say, 86% or something of women, uh, of workers are women at processing plants on the floor? It said 85 to 90% of the total workforce, yeah, at, yeah. at labor-intensive processing. So that we're looking at a good representative sample because there's a lot of employees there. And to, sh- to say that that's a large number is relevant. To say, you know, if we were looking at smaller farms that are spread out, those numbers might be a little bit more misleading. So I just want to throw that out there that uh, we need to kind of keep all of these things in mind when we're talking about these numbers just to make sure we have the full picture of what's going on here. And I had another point, but I totally got away from me while I was talking about that. Well, so. My point as you were talking, Sean, would also be dissecting the data even further and looking from regions or countries, you know, like what percentage of female workers are working in processing plants in the United States versus another country. Those sort of statistics are helpful to see what areas or regions we need to focus on and try to educate and boost those numbers if they need to be boosted. So be curious to see if we have data like that out there and what we're doing about it. I'm sure there is. I actually thought of my other point real quick, um, and I'm going to pass it right back to Maddie and Elise because you guys are the ones that have the data and the numbers and everything. But um, <clears throat> the other thing I wanted to point out is, you know, we've seen, and I learned this from doing the auditor courses that we used to teach to the BAP auditor, that I used to partially teach to the BAP auditors. Some of these farms, not a, I don't, I don't want to say a lot, I don't know what percentage of them do, but many farms employ basically full, whole families. Um, you know, they have the father and the mother and the kids there. They're all going to school there at the farm. They're working at the farm. The kids are doing some tasks that are age appropriate for the farm. And so how does that play into the number when we're looking at, okay, 50% of the workforce in the aquaculture industry is women? How many of those are there I don't want to say by default or by force because they don't have any other option because their family is literally living on this farm and that's kind of the only choice they have or how many of them have chosen to go out and and get these jobs in this industry. So just one other tangent to add in. This is not a a simple discussion. This is a complicated discussion, but just wanted to throw that in there as well. Yeah, very nuanced. Yeah, and I I want to bring it back to kind of Denise's interview too because as I said, like one of her points was like women aren't really seen as much in leadership roles, which I think we all know, you know, we can work on in this industry. But and that's she probably did. just standard across like every industry. Yeah, I think we can say that about a lot of industries. Mm-hmm. But she did say at the end that her experience in this industry has been that, you know, we're making great strides in gender equity and she's seeing more opportunities open for women. And I agree. I think we're seeing more now women, you know, owning businesses. It's just nice to see, I think. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's a generational thing too, right? Um, We've talked about in the past that this industry is one where people, people don't retire early in this industry. People work very, very late into life in this industry. It's, It's just kind of a common practice in seafood. And I think the younger generations are obviously going to be a little bit more, I don't want to say open to, but they're going to be thinking about this more. They're going to be thinking about gender equity and gender equality more than some of the older generations who are just kind of, this is how it's always been. This is how it works. And we're, you know, 
why why change it and not that not any animosity towards that generation but i think this is a an industry where it's a slow turnover with new generations coming in into those decision making roles and so i think we are at a time where we're starting to see some younger people starting to kind of make some pun intended make some waves in the industry and and with that they're going to bring a lot of this awareness of this gender equity issue with with them yeah i think you're totally right about that sean we actually have two gaa films that immediately come to mind that are centered around women-owned farms one of them is where there is trout which follows Sitlali gomez in mexico and her mother who when this film was filmed was a grandmother at this point so she is definitely in that older generation she actually founded the farm and then Seat Lolly has now taken it over. And it that follows was the first her one ever as, made too. Yeah, the first one. And so mm-hmm. it follows her as a mother and as a business owner and as an environmentalist in the aquaculture industry. So if you're wanting like a heartwarming seafood story about women, that's a great one. And then we also have another mother-daughter duo in our film A Different Light, which follows Rosita and Anissa Idris in on their farm that they own in Indonesia. And that one's also really cool because it shows a lot more of their dynamic as mother and daughter who are mostly running this farm together. So we'll link to both of those in the show notes. Those are great resources if you want to get like a firsthand experience. I used to work with Rosita with um, when I was working in BAP. I used to work with her a lot on the administrative end. Oh, yeah, she was my yeah, contact. Yeah, that makes sense. Just an amazing woman doing some pretty awesome things. So Definitely check that. Yeah, check that. they're certified. Shout out, yep. <laughs> shout out to them. <laughs> so, I mean, what else? What else is is what are what are the big big talking points for this conversation? Because I, you know, there's so much to talk about, and I don't want this to be too long. I want this to be a quick episode. But, um, what you know, what are some of the the major issues or some of the things that we're facing to try and and fix this uh, equity problem? I think that that is just a really big and difficult question. And I think what you were talking about with awareness and the these new generations coming into more powerful positions, it will become easier because I think the first step really is awareness because in the past, a lot of businesses, they just like in the 50s, it just like wasn't even a, a thought to include a woman like in a board of directors of some sort, like that just did not happen. And so now that times have thankfully changed, but not changed enough in the past 70 years, it's it's more common for that to happen because people think about it more. So I think the first step is having conversations like this and making people consider like, who are the people in power at my organization? And do we have women? Do we have people of color represented in these positions and other people with marginalized identities? Because the advantages of bringing those people in is their different perspectives and their different backgrounds. And diversity with gender alone brings so much more perspective, but even more when you bring in people of color and other marginalized backgrounds, you get so much more of a better picture of how you can better serve your customers, how you can better serve your employees, because the more diverse people you have, the more different life experiences you're bringing in. So it's just better to have a more diverse group of people making decisions in general. And the more we talk about it, the more prevalent it will become. 
Well said, Maddie. As a soundbite for you. <laughs> There's really no like one solution though. It's it's really no. hard. That that's the point that, that I was trying to make with that question. Yeah. Is there is no answer to that question. Sorry if I kind of caught you off guard, but um, <laughs> it's way too complicated. There's way too much that that needs to be done, and and what we need to do is we need to start making little decisions, micro decisions in the in our businesses that help chip away at this and just create a better overall community that's more inclusive. And and I think, like you said, I think we're starting to see more of it. You know, I think uh, I think we're starting to see more and more women taking those roles that, that are decision-making and, and are, as you said, Maddie, positions of power. I kind of hate that, that term, but it's, that's the way to I describe know, it. You know, the, I know, but, it, but the, in some big companies, they're powerful positions. And I think we are starting to see more women move into some of those powerful positions and, and uh, hopefully that trend continues and we, we inch towards more of that, you know, a more reliable, 50% number because Across again the board 50% right, everywhere exactly at least you can go right back to that <laughs> that stat in the beginning that we talked about that is a big that's an important number and it's really easy to just have the industry pat themselves on the back and say we achieve 50% gender equality gender representation in the industry it's like well no mm. that's not exactly true by the numbers yeah maybe but you know quality versus quantity when it comes to these these jobs is is a is a big talking point. And that stat specifically, I bet, has been around for a very long time. My guess is that Probably. those places that you went to visit, Medi, it, it wasn't like this new idea of, uh, of trying to balance it. The way that you worded it five minutes ago of just balancing the scale with men and women, but also from different cultures and colors and everything is you need to be well-rounded to best to formulate that picture to better serve your your customers, uh, to move your business forward, whatever it is. But to get back to my first point, if we looked at the data, which I'm sure it wasn't even being recorded back then, I, I, I bet some of those areas that you visited and saw the majority of the population working in those processing plants. I think that's been around for a very, very long time. So it's looking at, you know, understanding why that is, which I think you talked about that, but also now how do we push the envelope even more? Yeah, that's such a good point, Justin, because it's it's almost like, did we reach this 50% number because of intentional progress or did it actually just kind of happen? And we lucked out because of it. Yeah. I think it kind of happened. Yeah, I think I think that's. <laughs> I think that's I'm, I'm leaning more towards that side too, because if it was intentional, there wouldn't be this this huge divide between the types of jobs that we're seeing. Right? You wouldn't have such a large percentage of that fifty percent be doing manual labor and processing plants. That it would just right. be not not that those are undesirable jobs, but it would be more mixed. There's some reason that. Women entering the industry primarily ended up doing these specific jobs. And whatever that reason is, there's some type of inequality involved in it. Because if there wasn't, then those jobs would be much more mixed between genders. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that that's a great note to end on, that there there's still so much more work to be done. We need to continue having these conversations. And I alluded to this earlier, but of course, this is Women's History Month and we want to focus on women and what they do in the seafood industry. But there are also other groups that should be represented more in these quote unquote positions of power also. So there's much progress to be done. 
across all industries, but seafood industry, we're looking at you because that's what we do here. So any any other concluding thoughts? Yeah. Before we close out, we've mentioned on the show a few times in the past that you know, we do these roundtables discussions that we've done them before. We've we've had roundtable discussion on getting rid of the verses in, you know, fi- wild-caught fisheries versus farm-raised. And, you know, we called it Come Together and, you know, the first steps that we can take to start moving towards an overall industry marketing aspect as opposed to this versus that. So, you know, we've had these roundtables before that take on issues like this, kind of complicated discussions that are kind of hard to have. We take people from all different aspects of these uh, different sides of this conversation, bring them together and just say, hey, j- let's just talk about this. No structure, no no canned questions or scripts. Like, let's just talk about it and have a discussion. And we are planning, and I've mentioned this before, but we're really knuckling down. We're going to actually start getting everyone together for this to have a roundtable discussion on women in seafood. And we're going to bring in all women to talk about their different experiences in the industry and what we can do to help make those numbers a little bit more representative and a little bit more beneficial to everybody. And I'm sure there will be talks about POC and like all these other um, demographics that we've mentioned that also need better representation, but it's going to be primarily around women and seafood. That'll probably be coming up next month. So get really excited for that. I'm really excited. It's something I've wanted to do for a couple of years now. I'm really excited to kind of get that going. So that's all I have about that. Justin, where can people find us? Yeah, there's a few ways you can do that. Uh, If you're on social, you can... Follow us at Aquademia Pod. Send us an email podcast at aquaculturealliance.org. Uh, you can go to the aquaculturealliance.org website, go to the education section, scroll down a little bit to the Aquademia section, and you'll find a contact us button. A lot of people have been using that. It's very easy to use. There is a form that pops up. Uh, you let us know if you want to be a guest, you have topic ideas, and things of that nature. But we do want to hear from you. Absolutely. And remember to rate and review wherever you're listening. Subscribe to Aquademia wherever podcasts are podcasts. We are there. So whichever app you choose to be listening to us right now, make sure you subscribe to us so every episode can get directly downloaded onto your device and you can pump it directly into your ear holes as soon as it's available. Okay, Maddie, I'll let you close it out. This is your episode. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And as Justin and Sean said, we want to hear your feedback. So get in touch with us. And with all that said, we'll talk at you next time. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Bye.